I did watch this heat. I don't, I don't think he crumpled at all. The wave just sucked, and he was on the wrong rhythm. He tried to surf himself out of the heat. I thought he did okay. Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella, and I want to start this podcast off with a bit of an apology. So we actually went and did a pre-lowers conversation. Stacy and I broke it all down. We gave our predictions, picks, etc. And we uploaded it, same as usual, but for whatever reason, it didn't get picked up by Apple Podcasts. We use this thing called an RSS feed. I'm not going to pretend to understand how it works, but normally we just upload the podcast to SoundCloud, which then feeds it to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So I think Spotify listeners were able to listen to our last episode, but for whatever reason, it didn't go to Apple Podcasts. I'm hoping that doesn't happen with this one because I'm certainly not tech savvy enough to figure out a solution to it. So... With that being said, we are going to be talking in this podcast all about finals day. It obviously just went down yesterday at Lower Trestles. Felipe Toledo and Steph Gilmore are your winners. There's so much to talk about. So Stacey G is going to come on first. We're going to break everything that happened down. Then, later in the podcast, Buck is going to come on to talk about everything else that happened this week in surfing, from the new episode of the Electric Acid Surfboard Test with Mick Fanning to the worst waves ever surfed in a professional competition, and no, it wasn't at Lowers. Uh, We're also going to talk about your two new favorite people in surfing that you've never heard of, and at the end, we're going to reveal the penance that Buck will have to perform for his sin. So, let's get straight into it. I don't know. I think that I feel like I'm the guy at a rock and roll concert, or any concert for that matter, who's standing there with his arms crossed and like paid $200 for his ticket, but he's standing there looking at the band or the art or whatever you're watching and you're going, fucking play the classics. Play your old shit. Where's the old shit? This new shit sucks. Play the hits. That's what I feel like right now. So is this a, a commentary on the WSL's new system? I'm going to leave that one with you, Mikey. Well, no. I mean, that's a huge part of this conversation because one of the people who won this event came out and basically used their win as an example of how flawed the system is. So let's get straight into it. I don't think the system's flawed. I just think the venue, like, we are done with trestles. That is not world championship to a surfing. I, I just cannot get behind it when it's that when it looks like that i just it's a shame that's all i could say i couldn't agree more like last year was absolutely pumping and it was also the first time we'd seen it and so it it made sense to me last year like it was fine it was great this year i felt incredibly underwhelmed the entire time the end results were spectacular and how it all like happened but i mean yeah, the actual surfing, like it was just not like a fun day to watch if you take away the incredible, you know, Steph's obvious crazy ascension and Felipe earning a well-deserved title. Like that stuff is amazing. But yeah, the, the actual surfing was just not there. Yeah, and I think Steph summed it up perfectly. Um, the professional that she is, I wondered when she was going to sort of sort of drop a positive note in there because she kind of was going on a spiel in the water that was pretty, pretty blunt. And then she obviously was showing a lot of emotion as she should be very proud of. Obviously she's the champ eight time world titles. That's just, 
unbelievable. And then even to Rosie on the sand when they were talking, it was like she left it to the last minute to say the most important thing, and that was she's never won a world title from the water before. However, I would argue standing on the clifftops at Maui is not a fucking bad bet either. But hey, she's right. Winning it in the water is pretty cool, and that is the coolest thing about the format. Especially, I mean, it really does go to show, and we've obviously talked about this in a theoretical sense, that like somebody just builds momentum, and then you could really see it freaking out, that number one surfer. And it was like Carissa wasn't even there. Like It was just so the Steph show the entire time. Absolutely, and I guess I have to um, apologize there to Italo and Steph because I just did not see anyone coming from the last match uh, all the way to the final, let alone winning the thing. So, um, yeah. Nobody did. Yeah, I, I actually have a guy that threw on a multi on Steph and Italo. He was paying 20 grand. Oh, my God. Yep. No, so he was fuming after that first men's final heat, but we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> I will say that... We obviously, so I, I gave Steph, I think, a 5% chance of winning, which people are saying, oh, well, she, she proved you wrong. It's like, no, she just beat the odds. And I also said that it would require probably an act of God for her to, to go all the way and do that. And I think you could make a pretty fair case that the queen dying and then her ascending right beneath her is probably an act of God, right? Somebody that's at least pious would believe that. It's so funny, the world we live in. Like, as a child, I think it, the hierarchy of the world is like policeman, fireman, <laughs> queen, and then God. Like, somehow the royal family has, like, the direct line upstairs. Um, I kind of <clears throat> lost that feeling when I was a young boy, um, a young child. But it would f- seem a lot of people in the stab comment section uh, are still very monocle with their... Um, everyday lives because a lot of people took offense to that caption which was a big surprise to me yeah well i mean it is what it is like and to be fair like maybe it was a little bit soon but it was also too ripe not to just do it if you don't know we just our caption was the queen lives and it's obviously a video of steph after winning her world world title so it is what it is i understand that some people would be offended by that and fair enough but it also is like this is surfing come on and again that person was also 96 years old like of course they're gonna die that's not a tragedy (laughs) and steph is also the queen so (laughs) just what's wrong with that (laughs) yeah so i want to give a shout out to um, Nick Carroll, though, who he went all the way to say that Steph has a 0% chance of winning. So he, he fully breezed her. And um, yeah, I bet he is not feeling great about that. It was really funny, actually. Tom Carroll got a selfie video with Steph after the video that he posted on his Instagram and um, just calling out Nick, which was really funny. I don't know why I'm in here. It's all bad stuff. Because Nick said that I had no chance of taking it today, and I did. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's huge. I love that. That's amazing. Um, gotta love it. Um, I got called out hard at G-Land by a couple of the boys that we said wouldn't make the cut that did. So, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, good on them. And I just said, yeah, fucking well done. You showed me. <laughs> 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 oh. But yeah, no, it is, um, you know, it's funny to think... And, and, and Sam Mack actually mentioned it when we were had our chat about how surfers get paid. Like, surfers don't need surf media. We desperately need them, I, I think. <laughs> I definitely agree with that. <laughs> so yeah. if they ever pay attention to our articles or whatever, um, yeah, I guess it's a, an honor. 
It is. It truly is. Okay, so let's just get down to brass tacks on this. I want to read a comment from one of the people on our site who felt very strongly about how this all panned out. And yeah, I just want to get your response or thoughts to it. So Undergund, who is a pretty prolific commenter, and he's he's pretty staunch. Like he, he calls it how he sees it, but he's I think he's right a lot of the times, or at least he makes good points a lot of the times. So Undergund says, did she deserve to win the event? Yes. The title? Hell no. She was more than 10K points behind Carissa. That doesn't merit winning the world title. This is the flaw in the garbage new format for the tour. 100% chance no one would be saying that Kanoa deserved the title if he went all the way through today, but Steph is adored and therefore no critical thinking is applied. Thoughts? Well, there's obviously some critical thinking applied to Undergun's reply because the reply to Undergun was very forthcoming with critical information about how Steph missed an event, came last at sunset, and was still able to make the top five. So if you you, you take out her unluckiness there with COVID and that a person assumed that she would get a fifth and then use her throwaway at sunset, the gap's actually a lot less. Um, So I think the real winner in this comment is the stab comment section, which is, even though it sometimes is... um, critical of my performances, whether it be podcasts or webcasts or joyrides, um, they often get it very right. Um, so that's why it's quite hard to uh, swallow sometimes that critical feedback. <laughs> okay, so you, though, you made the point um, multiple times that this should not be, like, that the fives should not be a set number. It should really be based on who has a mathematical chance of winning the world title. And I think that's sort of the point that he's getting to with this, with the 10,000 points thing. So do you, I mean... Do you agree with that, or do you disagree at this point? Um, I definitely, again, can see both sides of the story there. I, I, I think that, um, you know, yeah, if you're within a swinging chance of the title, I mean, there's enough hours in the day to run the numbers up quite deep, you know. It doesn't have to be to set at five. Like, they get it done pretty early. It's done by lunchtime. So, um, yeah, I would love to see it be kind of like a floating number i think that if they want to build excitement that would build excitement imagine if the guy came from seventh to win the thing or or woman that would be insane (laughs) (laughs) i agree i think the problem with that is that it just complicates things from like a storytelling standpoint like top five is so simple anybody can understand it it makes it really easy to talk about leading into Chopu as opposed to these like arbitrary numbers that are like up in the tens of thousands that like most people can't even do that math off the top of their head. So I, I think that's probably why they went the direction they went. And like, you know, most sports have a playoff system that is obviously capped at a certain number of teams getting in. So they're probably just following that format. But yeah, from like a strictly logical standpoint, I agree. I think your idea would be fascinating. Um, on, on that note, speaking of other sports, um, James Miles from the Lipped Podcast penned a question to our round table the other week which you can go on to listen to now but it would be absolutely redundant because the finals are done um however he put to us you know the nfl or american sports what other american sports would the tour have to contend with if they didn't run on the friday to which i admittedly had no fucking idea what american sports were firing up at the moment uh so i had a quick look after the fact, and I noted that it was the LA Rams, RIP San Diego Chargers, first game of the season at 5 p.m. on the Saturday. So, telling the story and capturing eyeballs, 
I don't think we are taking any eyeballs from the NFL, but I'd want to know your thoughts on that, Mikey. Say Sports Center have their top five. We're way more chance of getting in on a Friday than we are on a Saturday, which is opening round of the NFL. Would you agree with that? Well, just to clarify, NFL games run on, there's usually a Thursday night game, which is what ran last night, and then there's a bunch of games on Sunday, and then there are games on Monday as well. I think there's also some games on Saturday, but um, to that point, yes, it is certainly more likely that an obscure sport like surfing would get a run on mainstream channels on off days, so to speak. So yeah, there, there is something to that for sure. And I don't mean get a run, like run the whole day. I just mean maybe make like one mention of the highlight package at the end of one of those sporting segments. And I would be shocked if Steph Gilmore didn't get a mention today. Well, that's like, right. Yeah. Just the fact that she won eight times. Yeah, and, yeah for yeah. sure. But if it was opening round of the NFL, like the LA team's playing, like are you even going to get a look in at fucking KTLA or whatever else is going on over there? I, it's hard for me to say because like... I, I, who even watches like cable news anymore? Like I don't know. Like I don't watch TV. Like I, everything I do is streaming and on apps and whatnot. So it's it's actually hard for me to give a really you know knowledgeable opinion on that. But regardless, it's surfing, man. It's never going to be that big. Like as much as the WSL wants to build this thing up, like and and they're doing a, a fairly good job of it. I think like you know gr- there is growth apparently in the numbers of people watching, etc. But it's just it's never going to be mainstream. It's just not in the cards for us and and that's perfectly fine by me i I do not need surfing to be football um maybe that would make it more lucrative it's already it's already gone like it's you might not want it to go there but there's absolutely every attempt they're trying to make to let it go there like those podium introductions before the surfers went out were fucking spine-tingingly bad yeah, there there is definitely some parts of it that felt really cringy. I think they obviously took that from the Olympics as well, and whatever it is, what it is, you know. And like we said, the whole the actual whole day was pretty bad. Like I was not impressed. I wasn't like on the edge of my seat. It was just it so happened that some pretty cool storylines came out of it. But yeah, I think I agree. I think we need to move away from lowers, go to a wave that's more substantial. Of course, they can't really control the forecast. So anywhere you go could potentially have lackluster waves, but I think there needs to be the ability within that wave on its best day or even its second or third best day that it's going to provide like actual high impact action. Yeah, and I don't, I don't hold such a high value too on that there needs to be left and rights. I just don't like it's surfing, and and good surfers will find a way to, you know, show their skill set no matter what. Like, I, I just you know, however many percentage scoring rides were on the right both years i think this year was a lot higher like you can get the same thing going into pipeline it's going to be big and west and heaps of lefts or there's a bit more north in it and guys are going right all days it's it's it's, just because it's a peak doesn't guarantee you equal opportunity like let's just get them out cloud break (laughs) all right so let's take a moment to really just digest the fact that steph gilmer is now the winningest female in surfing history eight world titles and she did it in a way that really preserved her legacy. I said in the last podcast, which not many people heard because of <laughs> something that I explained in the intro, but um, that Carissa Moore would inevitably, ultimately catch up to Steph and probably surpass her as the winningest female in the world just because of her age and her stage and the fact that, you know, I, and I, but that being said, I didn't really see that number being eight now, you know? So, and not only is it eight now, 
but by Steph beating Carissa, it was actually a two-title swing because it was either going to be 7-6, which is a one-title gap, or 8-5, which is a three-title gap. So now Carissa has so much more work to do just because she lost two heats to Steph this year. Crazy to think about, isn't it? It's just so insane. Um, I don't think, yeah, Steph, you know, her legacy is extremely strong, but this is definitely the cherry on top. Uh, And... I guess the unsung hero, and we haven't even really mentioned this yet. I've sort of just spewed out all my negativity. I'm going to try and be positive for the rest of this podcast. Finn Clusters Ahoy. Darren Hanley, what was that surfboard? She looked like she could push and twist that thing as hard as she wanted. And and it was never looked like the board was getting away from her. It was always under her feet. Um, and I think it had to do with just uh, a, a simple Finn... Finn uh, placement uh, adjustment, which uh, I'll try and get some more intel on yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I, fuck, I don't think anybody, at least I don't really claim to know anything about Finn clusters. Like, I would probably know if you gave me a board and that they look totally off, but for the, I'm not bringing out my freaking ruler every time I get a surfboard and measuring angles and separation and everything. So, uh, of course, it's like another facet of a surfboard and one of the infinite things that you can do to change how a board performs. But I don't even know how you'd start that process. It seems so left field to me. Nev Hyman, um, who is, I guess, world famous, shaped Danny Wills' boards and, and a lot of other quality surfers over the years. He was pretty pretty guru-y on fins. And I remember him uh, always talking about how he would change Danny Wills' fins before his boards um uh, i'm gonna get this completely wrong but i'll give it a go anyway not so much the cant but where the center point meets if you have the two fins pointing towards the nose like the further down the board the lines would meet the more drive it would be and the further splayed out they would be the looser it would be and i think that um I can't say like much like yourself. I can't say that I would notice that, but the top level surfers, they're the kind of details they're looking for. Futures and FCS, they can't. Um, oh, geez, I think it's futures. The futures can't is actually in the box, whereas FCS the can't is in the fin. So there's all these tiny little changes that you know. Again, someone like me and you're not going to notice that. I don't think. But you know the top level they, they definitely are so it's um yeah something to be known yeah so i i have a theory about dhd boards i think dhd boards for whatever reason they are like the maybe like the true f1 board in the sense that you need to be such an exceptionally precise and talented surfer to really maximize their ability and i, I the reason i say this is it's completely anecdotal in a sense but I got a DHD and I found it a little bit tricky to ride. And then you look at who the best surfers on DHD are, and it's Steph Gilmore, the most precise female surfer in the world, Mick Fanning, and Ethan Ewing, probably the two most precise male surfers in the world. Is there something to that, you think? Definitely. Um, Ethan, in his early stages of his career, and, and even still to this day now, a little more variety for him, but... He would ride a DNA, which is the um, you know the premier model there with DHD. It's the CT model board. Um, he would ride that from anywhere from Huntington to Portugal to the Gold Coast to everywhere. 
Whereas like a Jack Freestone, if he jumped on a DNA at Huntington, he literally could not move. The things were that finely tuned. <laughs> Jack would always ride the DX1. And that's the flatter, wider tailed board, uh, a lot more forgiving. Uh, I would say much better for airs. Uh, and they were just, those two boards were two worlds apart. And and, and, and the, the pro model board, there's the, the DNA, which is like spot on. You have to be in the pocket. You have to be on rail. And it's, it's almost like it wants you to push hard. And if you're not pushing hard, you're not generating enough speed and you probably it's probably not the board for you. It's it's yeah. What are you saying, Stacey? A very very um, finely tuned. It's a finely tuned blade. I can't ride one. I always would always jump on cruises and just go. How the fuck do you ride these things? Um, I'm much more of a DX1 type of surfer. I need some uh, forgiving in uh, in the in the surfboard. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of forgiving. We basically, we built the theory that someone wasn't going to go from fifth to first, mainly just around the stamina aspect. But I think that that was mitigated by the little conditions that we had, right? Because instead of last year where it was like, you know, four to six foot bombing lowers and, you know, you were getting sets on the head and stuck inside and stuff like that. This year, you know, yeah, there's still some longer waves, but it's just such like a mellow paddle back out. Um, so Steph rode 28 waves in her campaign across five heats. And, you know, she was obviously tired by the end, but I think she was also, I saw it when she turned that heat against Joanne, when she went from being comboed, or sorry, not against Joanne, against um, Brisa, when she went from being comboed to just, you know, just figuring it out, she was just like, she she looked like, a, it was like a villain origin story. I was like, oh my God, like something really really bad just happened and Steph actually looks like she's going to kill someone and lo and behold she went on to you know beat everybody else in her path but yeah I think it it came down to the fact that the waves just weren't big enough to knock the energy out of you that quickly yeah getting back to the breezer heat there uh I didn't watch that one live I'm not sure if you did but I heard breezer paddled and missed for a wave and that sort of became the, the turning point yeah, there was an incident um, where Brisa gave up priority for sure, and that definitely hurt her. But it, it was really a story of Steph coming out and just looking so flustered, like pretty much looked like she did last year in this event. And she's talked about it after the fact. She's like, yeah, I was like super nervous. And uh, yeah, I just felt like, what was I doing? I, I heard a rumor that, you know, she was basically training for this event by surfing Malibu on Twin Fins which was, you know, an interesting call. But when you're Steph, you can apparently get away with it. So she she squeaks through that heat. And then she sort of squeaks through that heat with Tati. I think, you know, a case could be made that, you know, Tati could have been given that heat as well. But after that, her confidence was so high. I knew it. As, as soon as I saw her against Joanne, I was like, oh, if I was Joanne, I would be so terrified right now because she's now past the point of being nervous. She's not nervous anymore. And she's not feeling any sort of um, fatigue. She's only two heats in at this point, and the waves are small. So I knew she was going to smash Joanne. I didn't know she was necessarily going to have enough for Carissa, and it, it was all just a momentum thing. Like if Carissa came out and just dropped a nine, it would have been a different story, not just numbers-wise, but momentum-wise. She, she could have sort of shut Steph's whole thing down, but Carissa never did that. She basically succumbed to the momentum that Steph had, and, um, yeah, we obviously know what happened. Yeah, it's... um. I wonder, like, how Joanne and Carissa went into their heats. Like, do they even know how Steph got there? Or do they just see Steph getting her rashy and they're like, oh, I've got Steph. Because if you watched her coming, you, you're right. You'd be like, oh, my 
you know, God, I've got to be on here. But if you didn't pay attention to it, I wonder, like, physiologically, how'd you, how'd you react if you just sort of buried your head in the sand? Well, I think you'd be almost, you could make the case of being more terrified because you wouldn't have any idea, but you'd be like, how is Steph, who is in fifth place, standing in front of me right now? Like, that's pretty terrifying as well. So regardless of what they did, they would have been pretty flustered, I think. Um, so, sorry, one other thing I wanted to talk about, Tati's last wave, she she made a correction from last year. She made the last turn. But in my eyes, she took the foot off the pedal a little bit on that last turn, and that's why she didn't get the score. She came in and said she was really happy with her performance, and she actually talked about her last wave and said, yeah, I did like three really big turns. But I think she might go back and watch that last wave and realize that there was a little bit more meat on that bone, and that was the difference, I think. Did you feel the same way, or did you think she maybe made it with that wave? Uh, I didn't see that heat, unfortunately. That was sort of uh, probably at about 3 a.m., and I did not commit to the full uh, evening of viewing. So I'm going to have to take your call on that one. If you say she softened that last turn, I'm going to have to take your word on it, Mikey. <laughs> well, Buck thought she made it as a goofy foot, of course. But, yeah, I just there's just – you know how in those moments there's just that gut reaction – and when you see someone just lay off a little bit on the last turn, you know what I mean? Like when it's like they think they kind of got it, all they have to do is like stay on their feet. It just puts a bad taste in your mouth. And judges are humans too. And I think that's probably what it came down to. I think they reward like bravery, weirdly. And if you really go for it and don't make it, I think they often, I don't know, I swear I've seen them give them the nod, which I, I back, I like that. I like it when someone goes for it and, and gets the nod, but... Yeah, there's, I don't know, it's just a fine balance, right? You, you want to complete your waves, but at, at what cost? So, yeah, um, it's not a nice feeling, though, when you do a turn and you, you know you could have done it better, especially <laughs> when you're uh, world titles on the line. Yeah, well, I guess that brings us to the men, right? So, obviously, Itilo went all the way through. He had 31 waves that he served in five heats, but... He had this heat with Kanoa. It started off really strangely. There was this incident where it was sort of jostling and then Kanoa was going and then Itolo was like on his back and then Kanoa goes to stand up and he falls over. It kind of seemed like Itolo's nose got stuck in his leash or something like that. There was no interference call. They originally gave priority to Itolo, but then rescinded it and went back to neutral. So some people have, you know, I've had people asking me like, oh, why wasn't that an interference? And I just think that early in the heat on a wave that was probably going to be inconsequential, it's just it doesn't seem right to, um, you know, make a call that's going to affect somebody's potentially entire life just based on that. Maybe if it's, you know, with 10 minutes left, yeah, you'd probably call an interference, especially obviously if there's priority involved. But yeah, um, that was how that started. And then, you know, the heat panned out. It was... It was kind of a lackluster heat. And then we come in to learn that, you know, Kanoa was actually dealing with some, you know, personal issues. His, his good friend Tanner Carney, who I think we both know, his dad died the day before the contest. So, yeah, rest in peace to Tanner's dad. And um, you could tell that it was actually really weighing on Kanoa, which is obviously very sad. But at the same time, it was kind of cool to see that level of maturity from him. He's always struck me as, you know, kind of just like, flashy and sort of like young and self-centered in a way and it was cool to see him be affected by you know be, basically be empathetic toward somebody else to the point that it was really impacting him on a day that was so important to his career yeah definitely it's um yeah it's 
it's you know there's no no saying as to obviously when you, when your time's up and the, those things don't wait around for anything and it's, it's a very very difficult situation to be in um, particularly when you do have to be so so self-centered to 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 get sort of where you need to be sometimes in the sporting world and then something like that happens and it's just such a reality check and uh, yeah it would be very uh, difficult to uh, very difficult to deal with and very difficult to process and no doubt those um, yeah these next few days obviously going to be extremely tough for for everyone involved so yeah definitely thinking of those boys so then Italo advances mainly on just one air that he did he did a good backside air in that heat against Kanoa and he comes up against Ethan and I remember thinking at this point, like, okay, so this is where the judges are going to have to, you know, make some decisions and some distinctions about what they want to see. You couldn't have two more opposite surfers, right? Like one goofy foot, one regular, one surfer who is an absolute expert on the rail, probably best rail surfer in the world versus a, an RC surfer who is somehow in the air for like 60% of his waves and surfs when he's on the face, very much on the surface of the water. So RC surfer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I really thought this was going to be a defining moment in the event. It ended up being not really that because Ethan Ewing just completely crumbled. I don't know if you were awake for this one, but it was really hard to watch. I I did watch his heat. I don't, I don't think he crumbled at all. The wave just sucked and he was on the wrong rhythm. He tried to surf himself out of the heat. I thought he did okay. I don't think he crumbled I think at all. he crumbled. It just The waves were so small and gutless. Like... You can't just do a check turn every turn. He probably pushed the limits a little too hard early on in the heat. Um, I would say forgivable mistakes, though. Uh, and I don't think I'm being... I mean, gee, I watched the heat with one eye open, like, looking... You know, it was like fucking 245 or something. Like, they really do not care about the Australian marketplace. That's all I can say about this event. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't think he looked that bad with one eye open watching that... Um, you know, I just thought that Ethan, from the get-go, he, he, he was behind the eight ball. And, and one thing Ethan's done really well this year is he's, he's been able to scrap his way out of heats um, as opposed to, you know, early on in his career. And he's still only a young man. You know, we're talking about him like he's been on tour for 10 years. But he would just sit and wait, sit and wait, sit and wait. So I think, you know, in the long run, it's good to see him, you know, get down and dirty and... And, like, I saw him, he had a wave there. It was, like, his second last ride um, where he kind of looked bad for once, if I'm allowed to say that. But I love that. He he, he he was poking the lip and he was wrapping through his turns a bit fast and a bit twitchy. And I, I like seeing that out of Ethan because it's showing us and everyone that he's he's invested. He, he believes he, he should be there and he's going to try his absolute 110% on every wave he gets because there was, there was time in his career where you could tell he didn't have that belief and he'd, he'd do one bad turn, uh, which was still like the best turn anyone else has ever done, and he'd sort of just drop his shoulders and not give it everything he's got. But I think if he carries that attitude into the next sort of part of his career, be very surprised to see him not right at the point end of the wow, tour. Wow, positive stays. All right, you've done a full 180. Um, I thought he looked bad for a lot of that heat i thought that he it's like at a certain yeah i guess it is tricky because he made the decision to sit out the back while italo was banging sixes away on those little lefts on the inside and part of me thinks that you need to like ride it out right he ended up going on one wave finally and then the next wave behind it was better and italo was on that one 
And at that point, I think he was like, he basically just gave up in a sense, or maybe he did what you can frame it in two ways, either gave up or he's like, you know, just scrapping. And then he was taking off on everything, trying to oversurf them. There was actually an interesting point in the commentary about his uh, fins. Apparently he'd been riding fiberglass fins all week, you know, when the waves were up and he switched to honeycomb. And I think if you just watch these waves again with that in mind, you can actually see that he's just not accustomed to it. And he's like pushing a little bit too hard for him and they're just not grabbing the way he needs them to. So to me, it was it was a bit of a, a rookie response to a moment of, you know, difficulty. And, and I, you know, I, I would love to have seen him do better. I'm not saying this. It doesn't bring me any joy to say this. But, yeah, I definitely saw that as a bit of a crumble. Yeah, fair enough. And I guess, you know, it's uh, open to interpretation. But uh, I can tell you right now that Ethan Ewing's like 88 kilos, which is like fuck knows how many pounds, 190 or something. And in those kind of waves, I'm thinking he did pretty good. He did get really unlucky. Like, the heat after that Steph was in, the waves were cooking. Like, he would have done so much better. Like, I'm not saying that it's, you know, the end of the world, all his fault. He's never going <laughs> to do anything good again. Of course he is. But No, no, that's pretty much that's pretty much what you're saying. <laughs> no, you're right. And, and to, your, to your point, he would be kicking himself that... He, because he is the ice man. He can sit and wait for fifteen minutes for a wave and still execute. There's no issue there with that, which is a rare trait. Not a lot of people can do that. Um, so he would be kicking himself. Like you said, he, he was never going to sit on the inside and go those lefts. But when he chose to pull the trigger, the fact there was a better one behind it that Italo didn't really need at that point, he that would be definitely something that he would be like, you know, oh, I could have just paddled over that first one, but. You know, at the same time, the rest of that heat, I don't think he really made a bad decision. He tried to surf himself out of trouble and nearly did at the end. He just didn't have enough of a score in that first half to really warrant that wave coming at the end with 40 seconds to go. Like, if you look at how he surfed that wave with 40 seconds to go, I thought he did pretty good. Anyway, that's that. Um, On to the next heat where Italo went against Jack Robinson and basically just more of the same. Just Italo underneath priority, just banging away sixes on the left. It's got to be hard hearing that, and Jack is actually pretty good at not watching people over his shoulder. I think that that's sort of part of his whole mantra is just focus on yourself, you know, um, keep everything within, but it's got to be hard to hear those numbers keep flying in at you. Yeah, and and by all accounts there, it did look like it that, that got the better of him. Um, it's just, you know, Trestles is one of those waves you can't really... Uh, I don't know, you definitely can't overpower it. And I think, you know, sort of the same thing with Ethan and Jack. Um, that I don't know, sort of on the TV screen, they don't look like big characters, but when you stand next to them, like, they're, you know, tall and, you know, built well for big, powerful waves. And, and, and Trestles just wasn't that today. So I, I'm not blaming anything, but I think Italo going into those heats, looking at those conditions, you know, he's going to be fucking hard to beat that's all that's all that's all it is you're gonna need to be on the very best waves and you're gonna need to look connected with every turn and and jack unfortunately today just did didn't didn't yeah and the one thing i found interesting like he obviously he had some falls out there when you could tell he was pushing trying to get something out of waves that didn't necessarily have it and that's what happens when you get your back against the wall right like you don't really have a choice but i found it interesting that going into the the last little stanza of the heat he needed a nine or actually a, a high nine to advance he basically needed a 10 
and he got that last wave, which is a really good wave, but he seemed like he kind of like smooth surfed it. Like he surfed it. I don't know. Like it just didn't seem like he was like putting that extra bit into it. It was almost like he'd already given up at that point, but, and then Italo's on the one behind him surfing like out of his skin i just thought it was strange that like the whole heat jack was pushing it pushing it pushing it finally he gets a good opportunity he needs a giant score and he just sort of cruises through the whole thing yeah um again very early in the morning at this point i did not see that exchange (laughs) okay fair enough (laughs) um i i must have been looking like i was checking it every kind of whatever 45 minutes every time i looked at it it was like a lull and I'm just, it was not enough for me to commit. So, yeah, negative stats. Yeah, there was back. a lot of lull in that heat. Um, and, and to Jack's credit, like, he, I mean, he does, we talked about this recently, like, he really just does look like Bruce Irons a bit on the wave, which is just cool. Like, he just looks cool when he takes off and stands up. And, and I just, yeah, I know I've been critical of his surfing at lowers in particular, but I actually thought he looked pretty good on the waves that he got. They just, they really didn't have what he needed. So, Unfortunate, but um, there we go. Straight on to the final. Italo in... He, he's basically like... Whatever the opposite of catatonic is, that's Italo. He's like fucking out of his mind, just like vibrating. And Felipe is coming into it, you know. He's one of those guys... He's like sort of like the opposite of Carissa, I think, in a sense, where he is so incredibly confident. Like he could have not surfed for three weeks leading up to this event. And I think he still would have surfed his first wave the exact same way. And he just went out there and from his first wave, my mind was just, it was so quick and instant. It was like, Oh my God, he is so clearly the best surfer in this event in these conditions. Like it's not even close. Like Ethan obviously got unlucky with the waves. You know, he he could have put on a way better performance. But still, the way that Felipe is able to connect shitty sections, like those first couple waves he got, they were not clean, pretty lowers walls. They were first wave of the set. They were sectiony. They were choppy. And he was just flowing through them with so much speed and finesse and and linking good maneuvers in between like he wasn't even on a, really a single good wave in that heat and he still found a way to win yeah i i, I agree um he has you know obviously all the skills in the world and i, I don't even think he looked like he got out of second gear he, he was just italo and philippe on a long soft right hander um, it's definitely going to be a hard task for Philippe. Um, and I know you kind of think Italo got close, uh, maybe even enough to win that heat, but not not from my perspective. I think Philippe was the clear winner. And if anything, Philippe was probably owed one last year from one of his matches with Gabby, which I kind of thought he clearly won that. So, um, yeah, call it. Yeah, well, there's, there's that layer to it, which we obviously talked about a lot, is that if you're going to come in, especially as a fifth seed, um, or I guess in Italo's case, he was a fourth seed. But if you're going to come in and beat the guy in first, you need to really beat him. And I think that was part of the statement that the judges made by not giving Italo the score on his last wave. I think it was also, I hope at least personally, that it was they realized that they underscored his, um, or they underscored Felipe's 7.63, I think it was, like his second keeper score or his highest score of the heat. But that wave that he served was one, basically a closeout. And two, I mean, it just, it didn't really have, it was like a five of a wave, right? Like it was, a, it was a set, but it was just long and terrible, like choppy and bumpy. And the way that he surfed that wave, like, I feel like we posted it on our Instagram and I, 
I don't want to sound like pompous, but I just feel like people don't understand what he did on that wave. Like the way that he connected those sections and still was able to fit major maneuvers in there, trying to keep up speed on a wave that was like slow. Like I think a, a fat fast wave is like the hardest wave to surf and that's exactly what it was on top of the fact that it was choppy and all these things like i just that wave to me was an absolute master class in surfing yeah there's nothing worse than sticking one wave on instagram and expecting anyone to understand contextually like what is going on so yeah don't get too upset with that um (laughs) (laughs) but you're right he's he's just like slicing and dicing and he's got no no issues um doing whatever turn whenever he wants and he has that little bit of extra spark um which obviously is coming from that equipment as well i think he probably could have done it on any board in his quiver probably a fucking twin fin but chuck him on that swallowtail quad um probably dark arts construction um or just sprayed black like italo um you know that guy doesn't need any extra help with equipment, but his equipment looks phenomenal. But like the way that he is float climbing those sections, and to not, not in one of them, not to have like a moment of like you sink in or like you come down and your foot's a little bit off center and you like lose, you know, like you you dig a little bit. Like every single one of those things, he does so perfectly that if anything, he's like gaining speed off of them. I, that is so hard. That is so hard. Like one. It is so high risk, like to do a foam climb like that and push the tail through it and get it up and above the. There's not a lip line, but there's like the height of wave of foam, and he's pushing through it like that. You're right; he is getting speed out of that, which does become a positive. But that is just so fraught with danger for no real points either. Like you fall on a foam climb, and it's not cool. But how it's slingshotting him into the next section, it's it's definitely, I guess, worth. Um, you know, worth the improvement to your score, but it's just such a, um, you know, I think it's one of the most underrated turns in surfing in, in small waves. It's like a good, honest, speed-generating foam climb because the amount of times people fall off doing that is it defies logic. <laughs> yeah. So, and then obviously it came down to that last wave of Italo, which if you just watch it on the surface, I mean, to me, it was clearly a 7. I think you needed a seven one three. you got a six nine three. Um, he, not, not that we should be counting turns, but he did 11 turns on it. And most of them were on like relatively steep sections. Like the wave started off. I was like, what is he doing going on this thing? And then it just miraculously like stood up through the middle and he was just like, boom, boom, boom. So to me, I was like, just without taking into context, really like all the waves that had been served, just looking at the numbers, I was like, that has to be a seven. And then of course it wasn't. And you tended to agree with the judges. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, thankfully we're not counting turns. And you talk about being on the surface. That's exactly how Italo surfed this whole event. He's he's on top of the water. He's not. You compare him to Philippe surfing, it's just night and day. And uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Italo surfing in certain situations, but um, in situations like that, it's, it's Philippe all day. I think what he's doing is infinitely more difficult. And even Philippe came in and said, hey, my 7-6 felt way better than that. And I'd, I'd agree with him there. So I think the, the judges got it right. Two judges said yes, three judges said no. And yeah, you end up with a 6-9-3. Yeah. And I was talking to um, Sam McIntosh as well when I was watching, and he put it really well. It's just Italo's surfing looks one-dimensional compared to Felipe's. Like Felipe looks like he could win in seven different ways. 
Italo's doing the same turn over and over again. You know, on the right, it's that slashy sort of whack off the lip, and on the left, it's obviously the air. And it's 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 objectively, like, good. Like, he's obviously an elite surfer, but it does, like, when you think about, like, who should be winning, it should, it should be the guy who is able to basically surf each wave for how it's meant to be surfed and put each maneuver, whatever that maneuver is, you know, where it's warranted. I think Italo has that type of surfing in him where it, it, it is three-dimensional. I think that he, more often than not, is looking to over-surf the wave, and it, it's to his detriment. Um, I can remember him at the 2015 Quickie Pro. was just electric. Such good driving backhand surfing, no tail sliding. And, and that's the Italo that I like to see. I, I don't like seeing turns that are half-baked that then end up in a tail slide. It's just not the not the more difficult maneuver. It looks flashy, but it's it's not harder. It's way harder to keep your board on edge. And I think most people watching get it, but if they don't, I don't I don't care. <laughs> I, I know that to be the truth. <laughs> well, the uh, the second heat was a little bit more clear cut. There was no question Felipe won. I actually didn't get to watch much of that heat because I was so involved in sort of getting all this stuff out the door, like with the Steph article and, and whatnot. But um, are there any moments that you want to bring up from the last heat of the men's? Oh, I guess I can't be negative all pod and then try and pretend to finish airy-fairy. The last exchange on that heat was so fabricated, it was just just defies logic. That Italo needed a, I don't know, to go into the lead. He went a left, like a little blow tail, two weird-as-fuck turns, and like this psycho force reverse to finish. Fleet went the same right, did three of the most normal calves and a finish, even Mick was like, oh, it's all going to depend on whether Philippe, um, Italo, excuse me, betters he's 6-3-3 because, you know, Philippe's got a point and a head head start and, you know, Italo's going to need to ride another wave. The scores come in 8-6-3 to 8-6 and I don't know at what point on any one of those two waves did I see an excellent turn. It just, it just really put a cherry on top of the day for me of like just being so confused and just baffled that this is how the world title was going down. <laughs> well, I think that the result was right. And at the end of the day, that is the judges' jobs. We can always debate scores and whatnot. But yeah, like it, it was an interesting way to end, like a split peak. That's probably like what they dream of, right? Is somebody going right, somebody going left, both of them getting scores. So yeah, it was probably the WSL just sort of flexing on itself a little bit there. Mm-hmm. There was a moment just before that wave um, which was incredibly smart surfing from Philippe. He actually let the first wave of that set go, which looked to be not so much a better wave. It was a bigger wave, um, but it certainly had good, strong scoring potential on it, enough for Philippe to better his situation. But uh, Italo wasn't out the back yet. So in a a way, it, it was Philippe's chance to have a free look at that wave and decide, okay, I can either go and better my score or I just wait for the next one and better my score on the next one and potentially block Italo at the same time um, or take some attention away from the judges if Italo does go left, which obviously that did happen. Um, so a little tip of the cap to Philippe there. That That is the kind of like you know, world title thinking that you've got to have, um, which would have been incredibly hard to do. To, to let a wave like that go that he let go was one of the better waves of the heat. But at that point, he was already in front. His competitor wasn't looking to score. 
So that's where, you know, the strategy comes out and, um, you know, ultimately proved to be the case. And if the right was shit on that next one, I, I guarantee Philippe would have, like, made sure that he had two extra paddles to the left to ultimately block Italo. So the, the control was in Philippe's hand there at the end, and um, he absolutely made the most of it. Whether I like the scores or not, that was really, really well done. And it was just, it was so good to see the elation and relief of Felipe. Like, he's been at it so long. He's such an incredible surfer, and he's just, you know, for one reason or another, actually, mainly for one reason, he's never been able to make it happen. And finally, he does it. So, congratulations, Felipe Toledo, a surfing world champion forever and ever and ever. Absolutely deserves that title. And, you know, a fitting sort of moment for the Brazilian Storm in that they're three, you know, four, if you include Adriano, top guys that are all sort of showing that promise. They've all got their name on the trophy now. You know, they can all sit around the campfire when they're old men and just laugh at the, the decade or so or more that they were just the most dominant in the world. And, um, you know, they absolutely deserve it. You know, Philippe, I think, you know, he he definitely is one of the reasons why we all tune in. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing if he can back it up. Well, speaking of uh, deserving it, I don't know if I deserve this, but I had a strangely good day on betting, and that was without even making any bets because, unfortunately, betonline.ag just went completely freaking AWOL and didn't show up to do any of the heat-by-heat bets. So all I had to go with was my sort of pre-event winner picks. Somehow, Steph came from the back and won so i got some good odds on that i made 240 dollars there and then i obviously had that big 250 dollar bet on felipe toledo which turned into a 750 dollar return so i made 850 dollars on the day when you account for some other little things that i lost that i'd made before and um then we ended up season earnings 1642 dollars on surf betting which um when you factor in the amount of hours that went into that, it's not exactly a great wage, but um, yeah, at least we're coming out in the black. Well, at least you got your heart rate up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like a workout. Well done, Mikey. That's amazing. Oh, I'm proud of you. That's uh, yeah. that's a good news story if I've ever heard one. Well done. I'm a, I am a little disappointed on one hand that we didn't get to do the live betting because I was planning on going pretty hard at it, but... On the other side, I think I actually would have lost a lot of those bets based on <laughs> based on what I actually thought was going to happen. So, um, yeah, probably better for my financial status in the long run. So now the question is, you've got a taste for blood. Do you start flaring up on the NFL or do you just hold strong until pipeline in January? No, I'm going to hold strong till pipeline maybe in December because remember we got the Vans Pipe Masters and I'm hoping we're going to get betonline.ag to throw some odds down on that. So actually, I probably can't bet on that one. Damn it, I'm involved in the production. God damn it, that sucks. <laughs> Just have to uh, change your login to uh, Michelle uh, C. <laughs> <laughs> so we have some other winners um, from yesterday as well and that is the stab commenters we put a call out basically we had a a live blog going and we said whoever has the best comment on the site is going to win a free board from one of the world champions shapers so of course we know that now to be sharp eye or dhd you can have your pick uh whoever wins so we haven't picked just yet but a few of my favorites are one from jordan andrew cross who said holy shit 
Queen Elizabeth just sacrificed herself to allow Steph to ascend to the throne as the one true queen. There's also Ron Burgundy, who said, if Griffin and Kaipo hung out for a week, they'd come out the other side speaking a brand new language. <laughs> and one from Wangamamanonga, something along that, who just said, has Strider got weed strapped to his back? Which is just a brilliant callback to how surfers get paid. That was, yeah, that is, uh, that was a good one. Um, speaking of commentators, gold medal to Joe Turpel. I thought he handled Kelly and Mick amazingly that would be a very very hard floor to uh direct and um there was even a moment where mick threw it back joe threw it to mick and mick goes nah over back to you buddy joe called one turn and on like a five turn wave and then threw it back to mick and and i was honestly waiting for mick to throw it back to him but joe got him (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was that was probably the most alpha thing that Joe Turpel has ever done. That's what I thought impressive. too. It was smooth. It was so smooth, criminal. Yeah, no, it was great. Um, <laughs> and and obviously, like last year, Kelly and Mick together in there were um, were you know they're good in you know when they can go back and forth with one another. And I feel like Trestles with how lully it was, it sort of gave them the perfect platform to sort of go you know bit long in the tooth with some of the stories but when it's those two talking you're always going to be you know heavily engaged so it was um yeah it was it was it was epic really really good to see and it's funny you still get the sense that they're like more more so kelly i would say than mick but they that they're trying to one-up one another like they're not competing against one another anymore in in the surf but yeah they get in the commentary booth and they want to have the better story and whatnot and we're actually going to do just like last year we're going to have somebody comb through their commentary from the event and pull out the most interesting morsels and kind of dissect them a little bit deeper because there's just so much there. Uh, We're also going to do a follow-up story on, you know, Steph's proclamation at the end that she wanted to basically prove the system wrong and that in her eyes, Carissa Moore is the true world champion. So we're going to do a couple follow-up pieces on Stab Premium that you can read probably next week. All right. Well, um, Stacey, unless there's anything else that we need to talk about, I think that is a wrap for our championship tour year in 2022. Congratulations. You are the greatest betsman on earth. Uh, Looking forward to uh, riding the lightning with you again in the 2023 season. Thank you, Stacey G, as always, for your expert insights on competitive professional surfing. Now, we are on to everything else that happened this week in surfing. Buck's going to come in, and we're going to talk about the week's news and other odd happenings. Mikey, how are we? Buckley, um, gosh, we're doing well. We are on what could be finals day. We're actually, we'll probably receive an email, whether it's a yellow or a green or a pink or an yeah, I don't know what color it's going to be, but it's going to be coming in probably mid-podcast. Right now, we're feeling pretty yellow. Um, you know, I've been listening to Coldplay all day long, just on repeat. We could play a little sound by here, maybe. I don't know. Probably get us in legal trouble. Why not? Yeah, they were all yellow. Fuck you, Coldplay. But anyway, feeling yellow. We had a conversation about this yesterday. Yellow, if anything, just kind of stands for the light's about to go red. Stop driving towards the light and don't hit anybody. Um I guess that's what we're doing now. So we're going to see what way the light turns and hopefully make some money. (laughs) Yes, that is very true. Um, In the meantime, I wanted to let you know that I did some GERS this week. Um, Oh! I did some some dry land bottom turns. I did, I actually went surfing yesterday too, so I did a couple like, um, you know, wet bottom turns as well. I don't even know if I did a bottom turn to be honest. But 
I what I realized is that Gurr, he actually he totally skipped a step. That's what I realized yesterday when I went actually surfing because the waves weren't really bottom turnable, so to speak. So I couldn't really like think about if I was doing that well or not. But what I realized is that I'm terrible at popping up. And I, I think we might have talked about this before. But Gurr, you know, I've been surfing for, what, 25 years. So it would be fair to assume that, like, I know how to pop up and stand on a surfboard. Um, so I understand why Gurr may have skipped that step. But it turns out that I have no idea how to pop up either. So I need to actually go backwards and figure out how to do that before I even bother learning how to bottom turn. I can't wait to just watch you continue to regress and just realize, oh, wait, like, I don't know how to paddle. <laughs> like, eventually you're just going to be on that. that maybe that's Gurr's <laughs> endgame is to get you spending as much time with the program as possible which like you're just going to slowly go from like doing your carb to like <laughs> just on the beach and trying to figure out how to walk across the fucking sand. <laughs> That's really how it feels. And it's really depressing, especially like just watching Ethan Ewing all week and just realizing how easy surfing is for some people. And also the fact that, again, I've been doing this for 25 years. Like you'd think they're like, do you ever just get to a point where you're like, how am I like, I'm just like not good at this for having done this for a really long time. Oh yeah. All the time. It's, but it's that's like what surfing is that's just how it works but i've built my entire life around this thing like my job my passion everything i do is geared towards surfing and yet somehow i still can't pop up right well what i think is so funny is when you just like have a really bad wave for no reason at all like just for absolutely no reason it's just horrible that always gets me especially when there's like a string of them in a row it's just or like you fall on a takeoff on like a waist high wave that's what i love about <laughs> surfing you well, just have to laugh so I'm going to I'm going to like try to compartmentalize this a little bit because I just I haven't been surfing a lot lately like I've been on the east coast it's summer I haven't been like part part of the time I'm at my mom's house which is like far away from the coast so I don't get to surf that much we are actually going to Indonesia next week um this is for anybody who didn't hear it in last week's podcast Stab High, Van Stab High presented by Monster Energy is going to be taking place somewhere in Indonesia next week and Buck and I are heading over there. We're going to be judges. We're going to be helping with the whole thing, blah, blah, blah. So we are going to get some presumably good waves to surf, and we're going to be surfing hopefully a lot. So maybe some of these things will um, even themselves out. But until then, um, yeah, I'm just the guy who has been surfing for a quarter century and still can't pop up right. Well, the Indonesia thing is going to come up when we get to the surf soon. So let's work our way there. All right, first up, the electric acid surfboard test with McFanning, episode two. We talked about this last week when we had F1 going, but it was in the number two slot because we had good old Vans Pipe Masters in the one slot. This is where it belongs. I mean, we got Mick in here. He's testing these crazy collaboration boards. You get the number one spot, McFanning. You deserve it, okay? He's used to being up here. He spent three years finishing in this position, so... Welcome back to the top, Mick. And uh, how do you know what position Mick finishes in? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, good. Uh, I like that. I like that. I'm not at, at risk of uh, really offending a lot of people. I'm going to just rain back in. I had some bad ideas that floated in. Can't say that. <laughs> Let's just ask Mikey do you know how much your surfboards weigh? Um, I would guess. I mean, they definitely vary. I would guess an average surfboard of mine weighs about five pounds, six pounds. Pounds to kilos. What? I should know that. If anybody, I should know it, but I don't. 
I've like kilos have been the one thing about the metric system that I've just ignored. I think it's roughly it's around half. So I think I kind of like I can kind of like intuitively do kilometers to miles, but like kilos I just don't fuck with. Anyway, okay. Mick, yeah. Mick knows his. What's his weight? His weight? Well, no. What's his surfboard weight? Two point one. Two point one kilos. Yeah. All right. Hold on. Quick math here. Two point one kilos to pounds. Okay. Four point six. So I was a little off, but um. All right. And and that's like his. Yeah. He just he doesn't go above or below that, right? Like that's pretty much he's stuck with that throughout his career. That's all. Until he goes on the east, and uh, we throw some curveballs at him. Who knows how much those things weigh? The other thing that you need to take into consideration is, is that with or without fins? Because uh, Mick almost had to surf all of his boards without fins this time. Until a savior came. I would say that would have to be, that's a good question. I'd say without fins, right? I'd say, you know, you had FCS going for a while, who uh, they were a partner for this. And yeah, we had to have a savior come and... You know, if you've been listening to this podcast every week, you know that we we've been talking about the story of our young stab employee, Ethan Davis, who had to fly to the Maldives just at Maldives. Oh, sorry. Yeah, whoa, just what was that? To, yeah, I know. I don't know. I watched episode two just now and I think maybe it slipped in there and I, I just it got in my head. Maldives. And um yeah, so he just earned a five star trip that Mikey and I don't get to go on just by carrying fins. And um we recently got some audio that made it sound like the trip wasn't exactly as relaxing as uh, it sounded on paper. Also worth mentioning, our fin courier did not make the same mistake of placing the fins within his checked baggage. Do not fuck this up. Ethan, this is a very simple task. Do not fuck this up. Without fins, this project is absolutely fucked. Ethan, do not fuck this up. Do not fuck this up. So I'm pretty sure this was like, it had to have been recorded like as a joke. Like they must have brought that was Tom Bird speaking at the end. Danny Johnson, as you know, in the beginning, you know, to capture good audio on it, they must have done it in the studio. But do you not picture Tom literally following Ethan around for an entire day and just doing that? Like I don't think I think that was maybe one percent of the what Ethan got. Like I, I just picture Tom and these fins and just that for an eight hour work day. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Tom told us when he was originally doing this that he was ripping Ethan's bag apart. Like he was like taking books out. <laughs> it's like the the North Korean state and <laughs> just replacing them with fins. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Ethan. As far as I understand, Ethan did not fuck this up. So well done to Ethan. Um, East was a, a great success, and you can now see episode two. Do you want to talk a little bit about the shapers in this episode? Yeah, so this episode we have Matt Biolis of Mayhem and Donald Brink, and then we have Greg Weber, who you heard a little bit about him in that soundbite, and Josh Kyo, Kyogi. <laughs> um, and it's great. I mean, I think we, I think we knew it going into this, but Nick is such like a, a one incredible surfer and two just nice guy, and like we even in his stab in the dark, I remember there was that funny soundbite where. We just kept pulling. I think he was saying, um, yeah, I liked it. I liked it. And so, I mean, we knew that he'd find a way to make all these boards work, but it's still, I feel like I learned so much about surfboard design when I go through these things. And 
that's kind of the beauty of it, especially when you have like a mind like mix unpacking them. It's incredible. Yep. And just a reminder, the way that this series is set up is that in each episode, those two um, surfboard collaborations between you know four different shapers, they go head to head. One goes on to the final, which will be the fourth episode, and one falls out. So last week we had Ryan Birch advance, Ryan Birch and John Simon advance, and um, this week you will have to see to find out. Go watch it, folks. It's a doos. An insult to tradition, perfect designs. All right, when I read this story and look at these photos, I can't help but think about the conversation we had on here about the Michael Lynch culture shifters that we did and how you and I just sat here and talked about how we're happy that other people in STAB have taste because we just don't understand what's happening in the world of like taste. And so I just want you to start by telling me what you think about like when what do you feel inside when you just look at some of these photos what what is your just <laughs> your reaction to it physically well i have a lot of thoughts on this actually um first and foremost this is why i think stab premium is such a cool thing because we're, we obviously we cover things like the world tour we cover you know john john going sailing somewhere we cover the you know the big names and the obvious things that are, are going on in the surf world but then we dive really deep on really weird, strange humans and things that are going on mm. as well. Like, and things that, again, like I would have known nothing about these people had there not been a writer who came to us and said, Hey, have you guys heard of these people? Blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, you obviously assign that out. And now we have this story. And now I know about this crazy band slash surf art duo who they're like the most fucking fascinating people ever. Like you look at, again, you look at these photos and my first instinct is like, oh, these guys are just like gimmicky. But then you hear their backstory. You find out that they're actually good surfers. They grew up like competing. And now they just and they, they have this really great line about how they used to love to hate surfing. And then they hated to love surfing. And now they've matured and they love to love surfing and also hate to hate surfing. And I don't know. It's just it's so it's, good. It's incredible. So, yeah, basically these these guys, they're part of a band that makes really funny music. They're French, and then they also build these abstract surfboard designs. Like, if you thought Peter Schroff was making weird things, you will be fucking mind-blown when you see what these guys are creating. Yeah, I mean, I... I read the title out before, but if you're when you go try to read it on the site, just look for the gentleman brandishing a surfboard that has a saw for a fin, and uh, you found him. So <laughs> I, you I, mentioned dude, before the, too, but yeah, these, go ahead. I was going to say the the chain leash. That's probably my favorite thing that I've ever seen. And again, like I'm not like super into all this like artistic stuff, but these guys like. The way that they're just sort of like mocking surf culture, like a leash as an actual chain is the most like beautiful, brilliant thing I've ever seen. Yeah, I know. And I love it too, because it's like, like, I think they are, you know, on that kind of hipster side of things, but like, obviously, but at the same time, just like that music video that we put in the, in the post about Paris, like they live in Paris and they're kind of making fun of cool culture there, but they're also a part of cool culture there. Like I think Ali, who did such a good job in the story, uh, had a line about how you have to know something intimately to be good at making fun of it. And you could tell that these guys really do know surfing well. And 
yeah, they're making fun of it, but they're also kind of making statements like the leash. And it was so good. Al even wrote another line in there about how he's going to be curious to see how it's received by the stab audience. I think in the past, we, our audience was a bit more negative. We've definitely changed now, but I'm still fascinated or I still can't wait to see what happens when it hits Instagram because comments on the site have been positive, but just seeing like just interrupting our Instagram feed with like these chain leashes and saws and no chainsaws, but that's like more of a shrope thing, which we'll get to that in the East. But uh, yeah, let's see, let's see how it goes. But it's a great read. Like it's, it's the imagery is incredible and it's uh, a really interesting take on surfing. Yeah. It's something that like, I didn't think that I would really care to know about that it even existed, but then I read it and I was like, wow, these guys are awesome. Like it, it just, it totally opens your mind to this whole story and learning about these guys. And that the fact that they even exist just makes me happy that they're like a part of this whole weird thing that is surfing. Mm. Go check it out. French surf photog beats Andy Warhol, Paul McCartney, and Barack Obama to win Emmy. This sounds like a fake headline. It is a real headline. So, Mikey's favorite show ever, The 100-Foot Wave, it won an Emmy. It was nominated for two, Outstanding Documentary or Nonfiction Series and Outstanding Photography for a Nonfiction Program. It won the second one, which is honestly just fucking incredible. Like we're, we're talking about the Emmys here. It was literally against people like Andy Warhol, Paul McCartney and Barack Obama. And because I think the, the photography thing won, uh, a French photographer, Laurent Pujol, literally he won an Emmy. Like it's the, he posted this gallery on Instagram about it, just like probably his iPhone photos from the trip. And it's just incredible. He's just on this, he's sitting first and he's at Nobu and then he's just at the Emmys with an award in his hand. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's wild. And so this guy, a lot of you listening, I'm sure will know him or at least will know his work. He's the one that shot those go behind photos. Maybe the first go behind photos that we've ever seen actually, where a person is riding behind a surfer in the barrel, holding a camera and taking photos of them. So he has a really iconic one with Bruce. He has a really iconic one with Kelly, where Kelly's sort of looking back at him. I think he has a really good one with Michelle Berez as well. And Buck, you can correct me here. Yeah, Dorian's in there too. Dorian, yeah. And so these were taken out on like basically an outer bar in France, right? Where they got towed in with a jet ski and just, you know, giant barrels that you probably wouldn't be paddling into, but the, the ski gives them the ability to. And of course, then to get two people onto the same wave is really tricky without all that. But yeah, they he shot all those shots. And um, that's sort of the start of when at least I became aware of him. Yeah. And I mean, that just goes to show you he's a great surfer. Like when he's not holding a camera in his hands, he rips and he'll pack big tubes. So it's just so cool to see him win at that level. And I don't know, I feel like just seeing that gallery, especially there's something so like the photos being just iPhone quality made it just feel so much more interesting and real to me. And just like, man, this guy just like woke up. (laughs) This guy has been in our world for so long and like working hard and it's just a core surf dude just fucking won an Emmy. Like it's, it's so cool. So Paul Evans, who is a friend of Laurent wrote a nice story about the whole experience. Um, it's up on the site now. So get behind the scenes of the Emmys and uh, congratulations, congratulations to Laurent. You deserve it. Like after packing tubes like that for a while, good job. And uh, Mikey, you can get back to your beloved 100 foot wave now. 
Alyssa Spencer and Michael Dumpy win the least contestable surf contest in recent memory. Probably, I mean, we haven't seen the finals yet, so I'm going to say my favorite surf contest in recent memory. This was <laughs> fucking hilarious. This was a contest. WRB Pro in North Carolina, a regional QS, obviously won by uh, Dumpy and Alyssa Spencer. And the waves were... <laughs> The waves were so bad, <laughs> like so bad. Let me put this in perspective. You, I think you were the mastermind behind this, this clip that we posted from it that went nuts on Instagram um, of just this heat of like, it's honestly half a foot waves breaking two feet off the beach, if that, and just these people trying to, trying to get the scores. <laughs> and you put it on Instagram it got seen by 911,000 people. And we posted it last week. Our second best post got seen by 451,000 people, uh, which was Bronson Mady almost landing a crazy backflip. So it's clear that people have an appetite. For the, it was just so comically small that... Um, great job on that clip. If you have it, go find it on our Instagram. You'll, you'll see it. You'll be able to tell because it's people uh, surfing these waves. Everything else is actual waves. So, wow. Remarkable. Do you have any, any thoughts on it, Mikey? Well, so we obviously both grew up on the East Coast where this event took place. And um, we had our own fair share of surf contests in really small waves. And I actually, I mean, I remember events getting canceled because it was so small that you, like, couldn't literally surf. But I think these are the worst waves I've ever seen for a professional surf event, right? I for a professional one, yeah. I've definitely surfed to heat in those waves, though. I remember one especially where it might have been bigger, but it was, like, flat out not breaking. Like, it just, the tide crept up. It was, like, a fun morning, and then the tide, I think, maybe affected it more than people had thought, but it was already, like, finals time, and, you know, it's, like, a small local contest, so they're, like, not going to call it off then. And so I've definitely surfed to heat in waves that were not breaking, uh, bigger waves, but not breaking. So I can relate. It just wasn't pro level. It was, you know, 15 year old surf contest. thinking back to that guy trying to take off and his nose basically hitting the sand. And he just nose dives. <laughs> <laughs> what a flurry though. You pulled such a flurry of action. Like contrary to what you'd think, because there's no waves, Mikey found this just absolute wild stretch of action where it's like, 15 seconds but like somehow four non-waves are written it's just chaos <laughs> what was the song you used too oh that was um pod uh youth of the nation right or no 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 wait what was it uh yeah yeah so wow incredible um really good stuff what i think is funny is dumpy won with 13.5 points in the final and Alyssa won with 12.83 that's fascinating to me that you could put up those score lines. Like it got a little bit better from the final for the final than when uh, that clip was posted, but still getting 13.5 points in the conditions for the final and 12.83. That's really impressive to me. So I know obviously the scale shifts a bit, but still that number, when you look at the ocean, you just, you look at those waves big. Like, I, that's not possible to get more than a four is like total. is there something a little bit embarrassing about winning a contest in the worst waves ever i think it's hilarious i mean i think it'd be dumpy's won a bunch of other stuff and Alyssa already has as well and it's gonna keep on winning stuff and qualify soon so i think like i think it was the only one you won 
it'd be a bummer. But if you already have won a bunch of stuff, then I don't, I don't see it being a shame. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair what enough. do you think? Well, I was thinking too, like back to um, Stace and Sam in the previous episode, we're talking about the event that Kolohe didn't win at Diva. And I was just thinking like, man, imagine if that was the only event that he did win and it was in like the worst waves that the CT has ever seen. Like there's almost some like shame in that. Like he's almost lucky that he didn't win that heat. Yeah. Well, we looked at it the same way then. I mean, I think it's, a, that's just, same same idea just coming at it from different angles there you go all right so um yeah you seriously if you haven't you have to go just see this clip at the very least it's It's must see oh one one more note one more note i have a good friend from here that we always share the wsl qs instagram posts with each other like and we got mad like when it went to indo and got like remember that guy packed like a psycho tube when they had an event um near curry this year we just would get so mad when they'd actually get waves at a QS. And so I'm a big fan. I highly recommend that because some of the stuff like this is by far the worst, but you still see some comical just surfing that like you look at your day-to-day waves and you have to go surf because you just watch somebody kind of tear like a truly awful wave. So highly recommend following the WS the WSL QS Instagram account. It's it's really good stuff. All right, I'm going to mix it up here. I'm not going to read the title first. Instead, I'm going to read an excerpt, and then we'll get to the title because the excerpt's great. One of the squalls in particular was scary for everyone on board. We were caught with too much sail area up and too much wind. The boat accelerated beyond 20 knots, and you could feel the load on everything. There are all kinds of strange noises. The bow is crashing into waves, and it really demands every part of your attention. It's a scary feeling when you're in the middle of nowhere and you feel like you're sailing right on the line, just waiting to hear a big bang. What, what would you make of this? I know you already know this story, but what would you make of this? You think if uh, you didn't know what we're talking about here? Um, I got nothing. What am I supposed to make of it? Somebody's going sailing. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Just waiting to hear a big bang. Maybe Mick's about to finish, but um, (laughs) this is... A mid-Pacific dispatch from John John Florence. Uh, as we all know, John is on a boat uh, trying not to die. He's been on a boat trying not to die for the past few weeks. He's going on a crazy sailing journey. Um, sounds like he could surf again, too, which is nice. And he's getting some waves. But he wrote a nice dispatch. That's exactly what it is. And that was an excerpt from it. We published the whole thing on our site. I think it was shared with the Florence Marine X community as well. But wait, it's... wait, Buckley. We have a green light. It's a green light. We have it's a green on. light. Wow. Wasn't that kind of John's plan from the beginning too? He <laughs> wanted to be in the middle of the ocean when the finals were on once he heard his MCL. Wow. He nailed it. And sorry, this is not news at all to the listeners who obviously know who won finals day by, <laughs> by this point, but it's big news to mm. us. It's big news. This is exactly where John wanted to be. Well, he wanted to be there, but once you're at the MCL, this is where he wanted to be. So nailed it, John. Let's go. We got to get to this in. All right. It is surfs and penance time. So we're not running a sin this week because I confessed last week and I asked you, the listeners, to submit a penance for me. And it was incredible. We had a ton come in, more than I thought, and some really wild shit. 
one person suggested I kind of modify my body to become more dolphin-like uh, in a pretty extreme way. That was dramatic. Uh, you were across a few of them too, Mike. Anything stick out to you? Yeah. Well, some of my favorites were somebody recommended that you get a dolphin airbrush on a board that is not a mid-length, but also not a long board. So he was thinking maybe something in like the 8.3 range with a thruster set of fins and that when you go down to the beach, you have to hold it fins out so that everybody can see your beautiful dolphin on the bottom of your board. So I really enjoyed that one. I think that would also um, improve your pop-up so we could improve together. Yeah, I like that one a lot. He was just, he literally was trying to describe the worst surfboard. He was like, not good enough to be a log, too big to be a mid lane. He was just trying to describe the most inconvenient flotation device you could possibly try to stand up on and have fun on. So I really liked that. That was, that was nice. He had, that was a good idea. Yeah, and then there was also one where, and this was actually my idea when we started talking about this last week, um, that I, I didn't share it, so this is totally like an original idea from the person, but this is the exact idea that I had, is that when you're out in the water and next time that you see dolphins, you have to start freaking out and hysterically saying, shark, 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 and you have to sprint in and try to convince other people that they're a shark, so like fully committed, like, yeah. no, like this is a joke sort of thing, like you are like truly terrified that that's a shark. That would have been so awful in a non-native language, in a place where I'm not native, in a lineup where people can be a little bit staunch, not always, but can be, um, in a very seafaring nation where they're proud of their ability to read the sea and it's many animals. So I'm not doing that. Uh, Very, very clever, but I, I would just be so uncomfortable. So instead, let's hear from Robin, who has another idea to make me feel uncomfortable and heal, to heal. I need to heal. Hey Buck, I am here to deliver a penance for you. Um, You were a bad friend, you lied, and it's time for you to pay. So here we go. In order to preserve the dolphin species and to not have PETA come after us, uh, your penance does not actually include the animal physically, but I think it's only fair that you get a temporary tattoo such as a henna or a real tattoo, depending on how guilty you feel, of a dolphin. And we're talking 2002 Hawaii vacation vibes. This thing needs to be cute, all right? Um, Whether it's a tramp stamp, maybe on the bicep, location is up to you. But, um, you know, it's summer here and with the tarps off, it needs to be visible while you're surfing. So... That's step one. Number two, you got to post a picture of it on Instagram so everyone can chirp you in the comments. Um, And from there, I think it's only fair. Uh, You'll have a clearer conscience and you'll be able to move forward uh, without this on your back. So for all the dolphins, you know what to do. Cheers. Okay, so the tattoo thing actually came up a lot. And I have to be honest, I'm going with Robin's because I'm going to do it. Um, A lot of people were recommending like, you know, a dolphin face tattoo or something. And like, I can't do that. I'm sorry. I just have, uh, I can't do that. Somebody, I think, told you to eat dolphin in some roundabout way. Oh, I went down some rabbit, some tuna hole with that. There's something about (laughs) uh, dolphin saved tuna, which it was a weird selection of words. So anyway, learned a lot. But I'm choosing Robbins. Uh, we mentioned our trip to Indo earlier, and we are both sinners who have penances to live up to. I think that we can probably get both of our penances knocked out on this trip. 
Um, we are going to be going to Lakey Peak with, I'd say, just pretty much every one of the world's best free surfers right now. Um, I'm not going to have a henna tattoo tramp stamp for that. I just don't think it's a good call. I'm going to be judging these people in some way. We'll share details as it gets closer, but uh, I just think it's a bad kind of sign to just, uh, I don't want them to think I'm not taking it seriously because I'll have a job over there. So at the end of the trip, I will find a henna tattoo artist and to make up for it not being permanent or on my face, I'm going to go massive. I'm thinking like Flynn Novak has that. I think it's a stingray on his back. Like I'm going to get a big old <laughs> fuck you dolphin on my back. And I'm going to have a day or two in Bali after the trip. So I think my last day there will be September 29th. If you're in Bali, I don't know, come to lose that day. You'll see me surfing with a giant dolphin on my back, a, a very a very popular lineup and uh, say hi. I'll be very recognizable and let's have a beer after. So if you're in Bali, September 29th, I don't know, hang out and see the guy with his dolphin on his back and I'll share it. And uh, yeah, that's that. So I also want to say thank you to everybody who submitted a penance and a big thank you to everybody who used the code. We were doing that 20% uh, off stab premium discount for the past few weeks. That's now over. I looked into it. I was trying to do it so that if you try to use it, you'd have to pay an extra 20% for all you Satanists that didn't take advantage of it. <laughs> doesn't look like that's technically possible, but just know that I would if I could. And uh, next week, we'll be back in the normal surf sin rotation. But for now, we've got some low res to watch. Wait, one second. So just a reminder. So next week, we're actually flying to Indo. So... There's a chance that the podcast will be a little late, but I think we would potentially be recording it from Indo. Um, so either there won't be a podcast next week or we'll be recording it over there and it'll probably be a little late just so everybody is aware. Yeah, sure. Nice. Nice public service announcement, Mikey. So time for low res. And you, your prediction, you What's said, low you res? said uh, lowers. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. Wow. And you have all your money on Brisa. So away we go. <laughs> uh no i don't have my money on brisa i gave her a zero percent chance of winning sorry brisa i just don't think it's your year um yeah so how do you want to do this because i already kind of stated my picks like realistically i think felipe and carissa are going to win but do we want to talk about who we think we would like to win the most like who would you like to see standing on top of the podium today or for the listener yesterday i really like carissa i mean I love the way she serves. I think she's a great person. So I want her. And then, yeah, I don't know. Am I boring for just saying I want? No, well, other than Chris, I want Tati because I bet her on her. But <laughs> I'm happy with either of those two. Like, I think Tati's serving at a level where she deserves it. Like, I think she's a worthy world champ. So other than Chris, I go Tati. And then I want to see Felipe do it. Like, I, I'm ready. I'm ready for it. Other than that, you know I love me some Italo. He's got a long, hard fight to go. I think he's going to win against Kanoa, but I don't think he's going to go the long run. I wouldn't be surprised if he takes out Kanoa, though, and uh, even Ethan. I think he's going to cause some damage. Don't think he's going to win. But I'm going to go Felipe and either Tati or Carissa. So, yeah, that's kind of me. I know I'm boring. I want Tati for sure. Um People are, you know, in the same way that people hated how Gabby sort of had this 
you know, arrogant sort of feel to him and like he just didn't really give a fuck or whatever. And like, I kind of like that. Like, I feel like surfing needs that. And yeah, I'm super into it. So I want Tati to win for sure on the women's side. On the men's, I would be happy with Ethan or Felipe. Ethan surfing is just so beautiful. Um, And then Felipe is unbelievable there is that one little devil on my shoulder saying but he can't surf barrels um i'm trying to shoo him off (laughs) but uh, your shoulder is i'm not sure and then it feels weird that i'm like skipping jack because jack is obviously incredible and has had such a great year but i don't know i just ethan and felipe's surfing speaks more to me at least it lowers if this event was at north point or you know somewhere like that then obviously it would be a different story but just the fact that it ends here i just have to lean toward the people who surfing i like to watch most mm, mm. you know what i'm just going to completely flip mine and go full tati now because when you're talking about her kind of having that villain energy it reminded me i recently interviewed leo fioravanti he's got a stab edit of the year uh stab edit of the year entry coming next week and during the interview we talked about like he's calling it the cut because he got really good waves pretty much right after he got cut from the tour. And he talked about how that moment was around bells when like that petition came out and it was just such a hectic vibe and everybody was feeling really low. And he said he piled out one morning and Tati, as she was the surfer's rep was crying. Like she wasn't in a position to fall off or anything. She was just crying out of like sadness for everybody else and all the stress and everything, just feeling like she wanted to fight for the other surfers, but could only do so much. So that made me think of her differently. And because of that little point, I'm going to go go her. And that way I might win money too. Wow. Full Snape mode. You think she's the bad guy, but really she's doing the right thing. Yeah. So there we go. Um, look out for the edit coming and let's go watch some low res. All right. See you there. Yeah. We come from Paris. Well, this has been a hell of an episode. Um, How long are we at now? Almost like two hours or something. Wow. Well, if you're still listening to this, thank you, first and foremost. Also, maybe reevaluate your life and what you're doing in it. Um, Next week, we are going to be back, hopefully, if this whole travel to Indo thing doesn't get too in the way. You kind of never know when you're going to Indo. It could be seamless or it could be an absolute shit show. But assuming that we're back, Buck and I will be back to talk about everything that happens in surfing that week. Um, And we're going to be hoping to perform our penances while we're over there it'll probably take a couple of weeks to do it um buck said he's going to do it at the end of his trip i don't know when mine's going to happen and yeah that's pretty much it it's been a big week in surfing and um hopefully more of the same next week until then over and out